what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Foot Candle Films. Film news and reviews from two guys who really like movies. This episode is brought to you by the Foot Candle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org. Hello and welcome to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.tv. With you as always, I am Alan Jackson, co-director and co-founder of the Foot Candle Film Society and the annual Foot Candle Film Festival. With me on the other end of the Zoom channel today is the other co in my co-director and co in my co-founder, Chris Fry. How are you doing, Chris? I'm doing well. I'm glad to have a chance to talk about movies. Instead of all the other craziness going on, we can just focus on movies. So that's good. We're just just gonna let's just do movies today. How about that? Sounds let's good. let's make a change from our normal podcast format. No, we're joking. This is actually our very normal podcast format. It's just to talk about movies. It is a good chance for us to get together every couple of weeks and talk about some films that we have seen recently and review a couple of them. And then later on in the show, we will also have a little bit of movie news. I mean, honestly, Chris, there's not a lot going on in the movie news world. And that's actually what we're going to talk about is the fact that there is not a lot of movie news. We're going to talk about kind of the state of theaters and movie releases as, as it's affecting us right now. But we always end up our show on a positive note, though, Chris, even after what may be a little bit of a depressing piece of news to talk about. And that is our recommendation of the episode where you and I both share a film that we would like to recommend to our audience that they go and check out. Um, Maybe something that they uh, overlooked, maybe something that they haven't revisited in a while, whatever it may be. It's a film you can find online. And both Chris and I will share our recommendations of the episode with you at the end of the episode. But before we get to those parts, Chris, we do have a couple of new releases that we are going to be discussing and reviewing. First up, we'll be talking about the film The Wolf of Snow Hollow, directed and written by Jim Cummings. Then we'll be following that up with a uh, discussion of the film Out Stealing Horses, directed by Hans Petter Moland, starring a Mr. Stellan Skarsgård. So Chris, are you ready to get started? Yes, let's do it. Let's jump right in then with our first review. Fittingly enough, as we approach the Halloween season, we do have a horror film to discuss. This is uh, directed and written and starring Jim Cummins. Uh, This is The Wolf of Snow Hollow. We have every reason to believe that this monster will show up again tonight. six years sober for three this is scary it's new i never saw a body like that there's gonna be a lot of late nights and overtime because of the brutal murder that happened in town and i didn't want to set up expectations that i can't keep our expectations of you are very low spans of the bites are gigantic same as the distance of the paw prints it's a wolf or maybe it's a werewolf no let me just make this perfectly clear there is no such thing So Jim Cummings made a name for himself. He had a short film that was called Thunder Road, 
and came out in about 2016 or so. He then developed that into a full-length film called Thunder Road that came out in 2018, and it centered around a police officer struggling to kind of figure out what was going on in his life. He was getting a divorce from his wife. He was trying to focus on child custody. It got really messy. It was a drama, but it still had notes of comedy in it, specifically coming from Jim Cummings, who was playing the main character, the main police officer. Now with Wolf of Snow Hollow, the storyline behind this movie is that terror grips a small mountain town as bodies are discovered each full moon. Losing sleep, raising a teenage daughter, and caring for his ailing father, Officer Marshall, who is played here by Jim Cummings, struggles to remind himself there's no such thing as werewolves. In IMDb, DB, this movie is listed as a comedy, a horror, and a thriller. Um, Alan, what was your experience with The Wolf of Snow Hollow? Did it manage to do any of those genres in a new way that you found interesting or um, what, what were your thoughts overall on the wolf? Yeah. No, I can, I can cover this pretty easily. Um, you mentioned comedy, horror, thriller as kind of the listings in the official online website genre specifications. I think it did all three pretty well. I actually really had a fun time with this film. Okay. I, uh, I liked it. I liked it quite a bit. And I, 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 it's not without some issues that we can still talk about, but I think in general, I was pretty captivated during the whole film. Uh, I did find it to be thrilling in the parts where it needed to be thrilling. I found it to be a bit scary in the parts that need to be scary. And I did find it to be funny in uh, both in comfortable and in uncomfortable ways at different times in the film. Uh, a lot of it, I'm going to credit back to Jim Cummings. Now, sure. I think it's no secret you describing Thunder Road, the film, the short film that really got his name out there and made him kind of a, a darling in a lot of uh, film festival circuits and independent cinema. Uh, and then, unfortunately, the feature film didn't really do as well for him. But it seems like he's just taken that that character <laughs> and just added a little bit more development, maybe a little bit more development, a little bit more backstory. And now he's kind of evolved into a more genre picture. And I'm okay with that. I have no issue with this. I, 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 I think there may be some criticisms about the fact that he's just kind of relying on the same character to build out. I have no problem with that. Actually, I would love to see an anthology of films where this same character is just plopped into different genre films, <laughs> put him in a romance film, put him in a, a slapstick comedy, you know, whatever. I'm fine with that. I, I like where this is going. And, um, uh, I do think the film was done was just really well made and it's it's concise it's tight there wasn't a lot of uh, a lot of wasted time I didn't feel like it got really right into the storyline pretty quickly sure it's pretty efficient with how it kind of got us up to speed with a lot of characters I had to go back and realize it it was only an hour and 23 minutes long but I felt like man they 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 did a lot with a lot of characters a lot of, a lot of a lot of set pieces in the film in that amount of time so overall, I had a really, really good time with it. I was like, not that I was pleasantly surprised because I expected it to be at least fairly good. But uh, yeah, this was a this was a fun movie. I, uh, how about you, Chris? Are you gonna are you gonna argue with me on this, or are you you on the same page? Um, I, I liked it. I think my enthusiasm is probably um, tempered just a little bit because I had seen Thunder Road, and mm. um, I liked you know I liked the short film a lot, and then the feature I felt like just didn't. I don't know. It was, it was just okay, but I expected to like it a whole lot more. 
Um, but I could tell that, you know, he's quite the writer, quite the director. And, you know, he's got some comedic timing as far as, you know, having this police officer. And I think off the bat, that was one thing, even though I'd seen the trailer, but I didn't realize that the character he was going to be playing here was going to be so similar to the character that he played in Thunder Road. Different, the characters are named different. It's different towns that this guy's in, but it's still a small town. And he's still going through some domestic stuff with a wife and a kid, you know, a big girl, which is a girl in Thunder Road too, a little girl. So it kind of, you know, kind of shocked me. I was like, huh, that's really interesting that, you know, he's doing this and it, and, you know, he, the type of writing he does, like I think it opens with him kind of giving a monologue to the camera basically in an AA meeting. Okay. Well, Thunder Road has this like funeral scene. That's very, very similar. So it's, I mean, you know, he's the main character. So for him just to have this extended dialogue scene, you're not surprised, but then right at the beginning, kind of how it sets everything up, it, it threw me a little bit, but once the film gets going, it is like you're saying, this is a, you were saying it is very much a genre piece. It's not just a, not just a drama. You know, this is, that's not really, this is trying to be a horror film, obviously with werewolves and things. So once it kind of got going, I, I got into it and I liked it a lot. Um, I think Robert Forrester, who plays mm-hmm. Jim Cummings' dad in the movie, he's the sheriff or the, I guess he the sheriff and Jim Cummings is just working at the department yes. and, and he wants him to retire, but he doesn't want to retire and he's older and is having health problems. And I mean, Robert Forrester, you know, he's passed away now and I, this is maybe his last official screen role. I think it is. I think it is. I think it was his last film performance before passing away. And uh, yeah, he's really, he's really good in it. He's, he's really strong. Now, I guess, you know, if you're, trying to say like people playing a type or something you could say Robert Forrester is playing something very similar to when they did the um, new version of Twin Peaks that they had out on Showtime Robert Forrester was in that and he was playing the sheriff of the Twin Peaks department so kind of in a way doing a lot of similar work but still I mean he is just He's so good. <laughs> yeah, um, I agree. Really, really smaller, like him. a smaller role in the film and not as prominent, but I think very effective in his role for sure. And, uh, and then we also had Ricky Lindholm, who I mainly know from comedy work, hmm. uh, playing, uh, uh, another officer in the uh, police force. And I thought she was also really strong too. So, I mean, I thought acting overall, I, I thought was great. Um, Jim Cummings, he, he's just someone who's so, to me, entirely watchable and that I'm constantly wanting to figure out where he's going and what, what his character is, is dealing with at the time. Sure. And obviously, Jim Cummings seems to have a, a type where he enjoys playing someone who just has the weight of the world beating down on them and how do they manage that. Right. Uh, and unfortunately, not always healthy <laughs> the way they manage it. Right. So he's got that type down pat. And that's why I'm saying I'm I'm cool with him running this type out for a little while longer in some other films if he chooses to do that. Um, I, I'll tell you one thing I thought I really respected about the film. I mean, it was a horror film, but it was done practically. You know, it, it was uh, – I, I don't even know if there were any special effects other than practical special effects. I mean, I don't think there was really maybe any CGI. Um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe, I don't know. I, again, I'm not going to spoil anything with the film, but I think this is a film that I expected it to be as it got started. It was going to be CGI. It was going to be using more 
uh, higher tech uh, to create the scares and the creatures that we see. Sure. But to actually come up long later, I, I really do believe there's probably a lot more practicality used in the special effects and the creation of the creature that we see. And it was extremely effective. I think he he absolutely followed the the Jaws rule, which is don't show too much, don't show too early, really let it build up suspension tension. And it totally did that to where when we actually do see some semblance of a creature, it's, it's a little, you know, it's kind of like, it's thrilling. It was actually kind of worked, you know, the the timing and the buildup of that tension over time. So this is the kind of horror film I like. I mean, it's got some scares, it's got some, a few jump scares, but it doesn't rely overly on those. It's more of this building tension into where when you finally do come face to face with what you're facing, it's, it's, it was pretty scary. And, uh, you know, yeah, it's more of, I guess, I guess I, I said it was a comedy. What was it? Comedy, horror. comedy, horror thriller. I guess. Yeah. I, I would add on to that more for me, it was more of kind of mystery kind of what, what exactly is yeah, going on? There is a mystery. Yeah. People are dying. You know, it looks as if a werewolf is doing it, but the Jim Cummings, character, he's like, well, I don't, you know, I don't believe in all that stuff. I think this is just like, you know, a serial killer or something, but then people are like, well, but it's always a full moon. And you look at some of the instances and it's just, it's curious. And I think, I feel like it does a pretty good job. Like you were saying of using the smaller scale of the film and probably a smaller budget to still work around the wolf attacks and the creature effects. I feel like that was, that was well done. Um, I'd really appreciated too the opening they had like these montages of scenery with the opening title shots. And it made me think of kind of the shining a lot of the stuff mm-hmm. the because it, you shit all these mountain overpasses and, you know, just all this snow everywhere. And you would kind of go zooming over it. Um, it just really reminded me that then they decided to, at some points kind of flip the images. So it was actually mm-hmm. upside down and there was never really, you know, kind of any explanation for why they may have done that, but you just kind of think it's, just a little something unsettling to kind of throw yeah. you off that, yeah, here's just going to be this small town with, you know, this small town life, but stuff is going to be just a little, little off. And I thought that was, well, I was yeah. I thought the overall, the cinematography, all, all the scenery that we it really put us in the environment. And I thought it did great. It was a really beautiful film. It actually looked really sharp and really nice. Um, and uh, yeah, there was just enough visual flourish touches to, to make it interesting to watch as well. So uh, I, I, you're right. There wasn't really any reason for them as opposed to maybe just trying to keep the viewer off kilter a little bit and be a little more creative with what the camera was doing. But um, yeah, overall, I just, I'm really happy with how much I did enjoy the film and how much it was. This is what it's setting out to do. This is the story it's going to tell. It told that story fairly efficiently. Um, it, it hit, you know, it was a mixing of tones. Sometimes did the tones always mix right? I, I could see, I could see some viewers having some struggles with it because the tone does vary widely from scene to scene. Sure. You go from a moment where you are laughing at some, at some of the dynamics between John Marshall played by Jim Cummings and his fellow police officers or, right. or sheriff's department officers and you're laughing because it's either getting ridiculous or it's just getting very overly manic. And then you go to a funeral scene where somebody had just gotten brutally murdered and it's, it's balancing that line. I think it does it well, but I can see where it could be a little unnerving to some audiences that 
aren't able to kind of let their let their emotions be blended quite as well throughout the watching of the film. So that is one thing I'll just kind of throw out there as a little bit of a caveat that you got to be in the right mindset, I think, to know that it's going to go from laughing at the character or the ridiculousness of a situation at times or just some really funny dialogue to a very dramatic and very, uh, you know, traumatic scene in many cases. So, um, so I have a question for you. So again, I both, both like the film. Um, I think I'm wondering how you felt about, and there again, try to dance around spoilers, but towards the end of the film, there are some clues that are dropped as to, you know, there's some clues like here's some things going on. And then Jim Cummings kind of does some detective work but as far as how everything clicks together, did it work for you or did it feel a little, maybe a little wobbly for me? It felt just a little bit, a little bit wobbly. Um, I was, I was actually okay with how it resolved. Okay. Um, mainly because I was expecting all the way through the film for it to take one path. Okay. And it didn't, which okay. I was kind of happy to see that I was surprised by that. And then when it turned out to be, um, again, trying to be without spoilers. Sure. Um, I thought it was going to take one tone of a horror film and it didn't. It actually took it into more of that mystery thriller zone. Sure. And I liked that it went that route. I guess. So I, I liked it. Um, I do think the dropping of the clues and kind of how everybody, or at least two main characters start to realize something, what's happening and what the situation looks like was a little clunky because again, there was a clue that um, uh, officer Julia Robeson finds that I don't remember how she, how she would have connected that to the resolution of the mystery. And I found myself a little puzzled thinking, I don't remember that ever coming up. I don't remember that being something that would have triggered this revelation, but Outside of that, it being a little clunky to get there, I thought overall what it did end up with, I was very happy with. Sure. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah it does. And it's it's hard to talk about because we don't want to ruin, especially this is a movie that, you know, it's a, an indie film, so it needs all the money it can get. You know, it's not like some yeah. blockbuster or whatever that people are going to see regardless. So I think, you know, it sounds like we both do like the film and people like horror movies or, you know, Something, especially it's October, this would be something to seek out. Um, but yeah, something about, I think, to buy to buy the explanation that we end up getting, there are little things that happen in the film that I feel like would have needed to be better connected. I don't know how to say any of that. So I didn't really, I don't know, for me. But. If I got in the mood to go watch this again... Which, you know, I could see myself doing Halloween, you know, time or so. It's, it's fine. I actually think you know, a couple of people I know might enjoy it. Uh, I would actually be watching for the clues that would lead to the resolution. Because I'm starting to think that maybe they were there. They just weren't very easy to pick up on. So I totally missed them. And so that's why I thought the ending was maybe a little convenient how people figured it out. But anyway, that would be one thing I would be interested in going back and seeing again. But overall, I would just say I think I, I, I really had a fun time with the film. It is funny in many places. It is scary in some moments. Uh, it, it does build up some nice tension and drama, I think, throughout the film. And wrapping in the fact, I, I think I think overall there, there's a little bit of a theme here too, of which I like. This this we very rarely see a dramatic film or story about 
someone in a police sheriff's role who while, well, I take it back. No, I actually, there is quite a bit of this where someone they're dealing with drama and the personal side and also a overwhelming sense of that. They're, um, that they're not performing their work or they're not accomplishing their goals in a, in a case and the overall impact it's having on them. I take it back. That actually is kind of a familiar trope. So the more I think about it, I'm already rattling off a lot of films that match exactly that same thing, but to do it and add comedy in there to some degree, I think is what makes this a little fresh is that you, you go from one moment of feeling sorry for Jim Cummings character. You feel sorry for what all he's dealing with and facing then you flip right to another scene where you realize he's, he's doing it to himself. <laughs> I mean, he is kind of piling on a lot of this on his undoing. So yeah. That's what helped me appreciate this film more than I did Thunder Road. Thunder Road was good, his prior film, but other than being kind of a typical cop suffering with not doing a good job and suffering with family drama, there wasn't really that much more to it to make to a yeah. future film. Whereas with this, you had that going on, but then you had the overarching mystery that you were trying to solve. Mm-hmm. So I think that yeah. really, I think I could tell growth from what Jim Cummings was trying to write and trying to do. So I look forward to seeing what he's going to do next. I wonder if yeah, he yeah. wants to again be a policeman. <laughs> so Again, I say, let's do a sci-fi film. Uh, let's have an alien encounter film with this same police officer, the same sheriff. Uh, okay. Anyway. I think there's some something to be to be going forward with that. I did enjoy it. Sounds like you did as well. I might have actually enjoyed it maybe a little more than you, but I was pretty enthusiastic about it. I had a really fun time watching this. So I am I am recommending it pretty strongly, and uh, Chris is as well. That is The Wolf of Snow Hollow, written and directed by Jim Cummings. Uh, it is available on, I know, Apple TV, Amazon, I think anywhere where you can buy or, or soon hopefully renting films as well. So. Yeah. Good. All right, Chris, let's move on to our second film and our second review, which is uh, the film Out Stealing Horses. If I practice that, that man will kill him. Mister Jacques Chris, in Out Stealing Horses, we follow a grieving widower uh, as he moves to the country where a chance encounter rekindles memories from his past. And Chris, this is a film uh, based on a novel, a Norwegian novel by Per Peterson. Uh, it received several international awards and was concluded as one of the 10 best books of 2007. Um, and in this film, we follow Stellan Skarsgård plays Trone, a 67-year-old who is now living in uh, isolation. 
Um, we slowly learn over the course of the film why he's in isolation or what events led him there. But as the tagline did mention, he meets someone that then uh, he tries to discover if that person is someone that he actually had some memories of of the past. And that brings up a lot of memories about his childhood and a summer spent with his father out in the countryside uh, and the relationships they had with the people around them. And uh, Chris, it is a dramatic film. There's a lot of characters involved. There's a lot of dramatic moments and it is uh, it's a fairly long film as well. As far as, you know, relatively speaking with all that said, Chris length, uh, a lot of different characters to keep up with a lot of different plot lines, a lot of heavy dramatic themes doesn't necessarily paint the p- rosy picture for me of a Chris Fry patented favorite film. Sure. But tell me, uh, did this prove me wrong? Did you actually get some, some things out of this film? Did it work for you? Even despite everything I just listed that I know would not normally work for you in a normal situation. I mean, the film normally, you know, I, <laughs> I, I feel like I have a pretty good grasp of movies. I go see them regardless of how complicated they are, even if they're foreign, even if they jump around in time. I'm like, hey, you know, no problem. At the end of it, I may have missed a couple little details here and there that I have to scratch my head about. But overall, that's usually not an issue for me. This movie confused me so much. I mean, I, I'd known going in that it was based on a book. Um, but my goodness, I feel like I should have had a set of cliff notes to use as I was watching this movie because it does jump back and forth in time so much. And, you know, reading the subtitles didn't help. So I would kind of get lost and like, is he supposed to know this person? Is he not supposed to know this person? Is this where in his past is this, has this event already happened or is it actually jumping around within his past as well? Like, you know, it just was was pretty jumbled for me. Um, But at the end of the day, at the end of the film, I did appreciate it. Uh, It helps that the cinematography, which is a lot of nature, it's actually kind of interesting where the movie we discussed first had a lot of cinematography, but it was a lot of, you know, cold art, not Arctic, but just, you know, snow and all this kind of cinematography, Mm -hmm. some snow in this as well, but there was also a lot of mountains and streams and shots of people doing logging and all this stuff. Cause that was one of the things that the main character apparently helped his dad do in his youth was, go logging. Um, Mm -hmm. So it it was really beautiful and had a lot of shots of just nature, like, you know, a deer or something, you know, just animals in the forest or birds. It just, it was really, really, really beautiful. Um, And then Stellan Skarsgård, which he, you know, he plays the older version of this Trond character. Um, And I've never seen Stellan Skarsgård be anything bad. (laughs) So, Mm -hmm always liked everything he's done. Um, and I, I liked the film and, but I, I wish it would have been a little bit easier to kind of understand, but I think that's a me thing. That's not a film thing. I, I didn't expect it to well, be challenging as it was, but yeah, you, you and I are kind of on the same page with this where I, I did ultimately like the film. I do think it's acting, it's cinematography, uh, the production in general uh, outweighed some of the complications I had on the plot, but the plot was complicated. The story was complicated. Um, the characters are complicated. Now I'll freely admit, I think some of this is impacted by the fact that, you know, obviously for English speaking audiences, this was a subtitled film, 
I think subtitles in a in a heavy period drama like this with a lot of names and a lot of people can be can be tough to kind of follow along. But again, you and I have seen plenty of films that were subtitled and plenty of other films to keep up with. This one was definitely on the more complex uh, side of uh, of following. But like you, I do feel like uh, so much really worked for it to outweigh some of the hesitations I had on the plot machinations and, and trying to follow along with exactly what was happening. Um, I know it's adapted from a book. And I also believe from what I've understood, the book is a lot, goes into a lot more depth and provides even more subplots and characters. But I think in a book, you have a lot of room to kind of explore and understand and follow. Uh, It may have been just a simple challenge of trying to adapt a very dense book into a two hour film. Uh, Some things did have to be sacrificed and impossibly in doing so I can think of one subplot in particular having to do with the war. There's a period in the film where we do kind of have a flashback moment to uh, a couple of the main characters in the film in their role during the war. And I feel like that was a fairly small subplot in the movie, but from what I understand, it was a pretty extensive one in the book. So I do wonder how much of that it was just just time management in the film, just trying to figure out how to get all the the right points in the film without feeling too rushed. Um, but again, I know it sounds like we're really harping on the, the plot and the confusion, and we are. But I still, like you, at the end of the day, when I walk away from this film, I still say, wow, it was a really beautiful film, extremely well acted, and I liked it. I just wish I could have absorbed it more it it was there's like there's a really compelling drama in this film chris i just felt like it was just overly complicated and overly covered up with a lot of other things that just made it hard to connect and i wish that was my i wish that was the one thing could have been a little stronger with it because that's what it would have turned it into a really superb film in my mind if they could have figured that out so well and i think you know going into the film i thought it was going to be kind of a simple coming of age story yeah. Um, about this boy who, you know, from a, even the trailer is like, okay, there's this boy. He's going to have some kind of something going on with his dad. And then there's going to be some accidents, but somehow he's going to get through it. Oh, he will have learned a lesson, you know, kind of your typical coming of age arc in a movie. And instead, they kind of presented his whole childhood as basically a mystery, which I wasn't, I wasn't expecting. And that kind of took me back a little bit. Then not only he has this kind of strange childhood where he's living with his dad or he goes with his dad during the summer and has like one of the worst summers I could ever imagine possibly having. He has all these really terrible things happen. He has a friend who um, leaves a gun unattended and ends up getting one of his brothers killed. The friend then goes out with him playing in the woods and he decides to smash a bird's nest and like strangle a bird, a baby bird in his hands. Like all this really traumatizing like just scarring stuff and then trond played you know the young trond um then has all these desires for that very same friend's mom Mm -hmm. and makes a pass at her and while he's making a pass at her it ends up the friend's dad ends up getting like really badly hurt because basically got distracted by seeing this pass being made it's just and that's complicated, but just all these really like scarring events. And it's not just one, it's just like multiple <laughs> that mm-hmm. kind of compounded to where it was, it's kind of crazy. But um, I have a question for you as far as, would you say the, if you were to pick a villain of the film, would you say it would be the dad? 
I, I don't think it's that clean cut. I, I don't really think there's a pure villain in the film. I mean, there are people that all have, I think all of the adults make some poor choices throughout the film okay, and, ha- and exhibit some bad judgment. I'd say the father, you know, ultimately this is a film about Tron and his, his relationship with his father. Sure. So ultimately, I guess, yes, you could say the father, if you, somebody had to play the prototypical bad guy role, it would be him, but it's not that clean and simple either. I mean, I think that there's just a lot going on. Um, if anything, there, there is a hero in the film that we don't even meet until like the last 15, 20 minutes of the film, the last several scenes, I feel like. Um, so overall though, I did like it. I, I did admire what it was trying to do. I did admire it for playing with the time periods and playing with the adaption of the book. I just, I, I felt like it just, it, it, it bit off more than it could chew for a two hour film. If right. that makes any sense there. Yeah. yeah um, I think for me, you know, we, we watched this movie like over a week ago and I've had time to sit with it a little bit. And the more I think about it, and I guess the more I've been able to think about it and try to process everything that was going on, I think I do end up liking it more. Yeah. And it comes from a central theme that the father kind of, the father who I think is pretty much, you know, he's, he's kind of a jerk, <laughs> makes some poor decisions, treats Tron badly at some points. Um, but early in the summer when they go to this cabin and they're like clearing the area away, uh, Tron doesn't clear up some nettles because he just, you know, he's like, oh, those are like, you know, briars or whatever. I'm going to steer away from those and, you know, not do it. And his dad's like, yo, come on, you know, we decide for ourselves when it hurts. And he rolls up his sleeves and go over there and just, you know, plows through the nettles like it's no big deal. So it's like he's trying to, you know, teach Tron how to be a man. Well, at the end of the film, some things happen and Tron kind of has a new spin on that where it's like, He's, he's deciding, I'm not going to let this hurt me. I'm going to take what's happened to me and kind of move on and, you know, decide not to let it hurt me and make me a better person or something. It's kind of weird without explaining exactly what was happening in the, in the movie at that point. But I thought that was, was an interesting, interesting takeaway, I guess I should say. Yeah. I will say we've had a couple of members of our film society who we hosted this as a screening past week and, came away really affected by the film. I've talked to a couple of people that really felt like it spoke to them. They really felt like they got a lot of messaging out of the film. Hmm. So it is working. I think as a film overall, it does work. You just, you really got to be patient. You really got to be diligent and following what's happening and why. And uh, probably there's some value to be had doing a little after what, after viewing, reading, a little bit too, to kind of connect some of the dots and make sure you understood kind of what was happening plot wise in the film. I mean, I know one of the things you and I did was we went to Wikipedia and actually read the timeline where it puts it in a linear fashion. Like, oh, okay, here's the stuff that was happening. <laughs> so yeah. that kind of helped it a little bit. But. but if what Chris and I just described sounds like way too much work for you as a viewer and that you don't really want to put any extra effort beyond the two hours watching this may be a tough film, a uh, challenging film to kind of get into and really appreciate it its full level. So that being said, overall, I am recommending out stealing horses. I do think it's worth seeing for the cinematography, the acting, overall production value. I think it's definitely worth watching. I just, my caveat is just know that it's going to be a complex watch and it might warrant some after, after viewing 
reading up uh, to really get the full appreciation of it. You know, the one thing I'll, I'll say to listeners as well, as far as you know, whether or not they would be interested in seeing the film, um, the whole time I was watching it, it reminded me of some other books that I've read, and these have been made into movies. Um, John Irving, who wrote Cider House Rules, World According to Garp, and um, Prayer for Owen Meaning, all of those have been made into some type of movie. And he often takes you know, somebody who's growing up and has these really horrific things happen to them and somehow they become, you know, it helps them grow up and they become a better person. Um, the only thing is usually John Irving has a little bit of humor <laughs> kind of woven in there. And this film didn't have that. It's pretty, pretty stark, but it reminded me kind of like a John Irving novel translated into a film. So um, hmm. if you like, if you're familiar with his work at all, you know, and what Alan and I have said hasn't scared you away, then you, you might like it. <laughs> yeah. So overall, we're going to recommend it just with some caveats and some things to be mindful of as you, if you decide to dip your toe into this, into this film's water. Uh, but that is Outstealing Horses. It is also available online at the time of this uh, recording. So you can still rent it or watch it or buy it on any of the major streaming platforms right now. This is one of those films, Chris, that I know that they were, I think you'd mentioned or told me in passing that it was uh uh, this country's uh, uh, submission to the uh, foreign film category, international film category last year and did not make the cut. Right. Uh, I would imagine that they, with scheduling a, a more formal release in March, April, May, like they did. And obviously with theaters uh, closing down, this is one I, I'm sure there were some hopes to try to push it out closer to a true award season uh, and just got that kind of uh, Shanghai, unfortunately away from them. So now they're, pushing it out online like like most other films are are having to do or want to do right now so all right that is out stealing horses by director hans petter moland uh chris we're going to take a really quick break and when we come back we are going to talk a little tiny bit of movie news the best we can kind of hope for right now and then we are going to close out the show with our recommendations of the episode chris and i both sharing a film recommendation for you and describing why we are recommending it this episode So stay tuned. You're listening to Foot Candle Films, and we'll be right back in a moment. This podcast is sponsored by Jackson Creative, a custom communication agency located in downtown Hickory, North Carolina, specializing in online content creation. To learn more, visit thejacksoncreative.com. Jackson Creative, we tell your story. Welcome back to Foot Candle Films here on the Mesh.tv. Alan Jackson and Chris Fry, both with the Foot Candle Film Society and Foot Candle Film Festival, here with you. We finished our first half of the show where we did reviews of the films Outstealing Horses and the film The Wolf of Snow Hollow. Uh, both of them getting recommendations from us. I think we were probably a little higher on Snow Hollow, Wolf of Snow Hollow, just as far as an enjoyable film, uh, something fun to watch. Um, uh, Out Stealing Horses, a recommendation just takes some heavy lifting to go along and, and really appreciate the film as much as it needs to be. Chris, let's go ahead and talk some movie news. Now, I'll be honest here. There's not a lot. Okay. I, I, I comb the internet looking for anything that we should be discussing film-wise. And yeah, there's projects being announced and there's films that are on the horizon and all that. But realistically, let's, let's be realistic about this. Okay. We don't have a lot of really big movies coming out anytime between now and at least the end of the year, if not even going into early 2021. Right. Um, 
Do you know what the number one film at the box office was? U.S. United States box office was this past weekend. Um, is it still Tenant? Just because Tenant is nope. in some theaters, but it hasn't been okay. Nope. This was a brand new film came out debuting to a shocking $3.7 million, which I say shocking in air quotes. Cause that's not, that's, in, it is the lowest ever number one film box office. Huh. You have any idea what it is? Yeah, I do not. Yeah. I didn't think you would. Cause I had no idea either. Did you know there's a new Liam Neeson thriller called honest thief? I, the only reason I knew of that film was I was thinking maybe I would try to brave going out to the movie theater and I saw the movie they had there. Never heard of any of them, but I saw that one of them was said honest. Thief. But yeah, yeah, it's, I don't know why the movie, I mean, I guess the movie theaters are open out of desperation, but it's a shame because they don't have any good content. Most of the stuff they were showing was like some anniversary of empire strikes back, which yeah, that's a cool movie, but I mean, I don't want to pay however much yeah. to go see it on the big screen. So I honestly had never heard of honest thief. <laughs> and so when I saw this news item on variety saying, Hey, that was the number one film of the, of the United States last weekend. Like I honestly never heard of that film. I can't think of the last time I, a number one, a film debuted at number one that I yeah. honestly had not heard anything about. Yeah. Um, followed by tenant tenant was, was number two. Okay. And then the Robert De Niro film war with grandpa was number three. Oh man. So that's our top three films. Now, Tenet, obviously, you know, I, I, we kind of expected to be in that, that top list, but the other two, probably not. Um, Tenet, you know, is, is, is still kind of the bellwether that we all looked at. That was the, the big, first big release to go back to the theaters. And it's only brought in $50 million United States, which normally <laughs> a brand new film would make $50 million in its opening weekend. Tenet's been out about three weeks now. Right. Actually, no, it's seventh. It's been in seven weeks of release. Seven weeks. So total. I mean, it wasn't, some movie theaters weren't open. Right. It was like, obviously in a much more limited capacity for the first few weeks, but seven weeks total. And it just brought in 1.6 million this past weekend. So that's like nothing. Wow. Um Now, internationally, it's made 333 million because other countries have, you know, open up their theaters a lot quicker than we did. Right. Um, so this is just, and then the add on to that, Chris, the news about AMC theaters. I think what I read is that they're again at a cash shortage. They are, are not expecting to have much more cash to run for that much longer at this pace. It's going right now. It's, 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 it's depressing. It's disappointing. It's very concerning about the movie theater business right now. Sure. Right. So what, what, well, Chris, what is the, the next big film we know of that's supposed to be coming out? Big, and when I say big film, like big, big, like tent pole, like, you know, people are actually looking forward to and will make plans to go see. What, what do we have? The only one that I know of that is still, I think, supposed to come out was Wonder Woman 1984, because all the other ones I feel like have been kicked sometime in 2020. 2021. Yeah. Uh, and then Wonder Woman's been pushed several times already too. Now it's saying Christmas day, 2020. Right. So December has still got that film. And I think there's a couple others that have kind of targeted that same idea window, but we're still over two months away from that at the time of this recording. So anything could still change. Right. That's true. Um, I mean, 
I hate to be the the negative one here asking this question, but I mean, do movie theaters in the traditional sense survive through this? Because we've now seen that, you know, movie theater chain, one of the biggest in the country, AMC, you know, it was shut down for five months, maybe about five months. And that almost killed it. And now it's opened back up with all these caveats and low attendance and, uh, a lot of apprehension from moviegoers and, and everything else and, and big movies being pushed back. And now it's been open for, uh, at least here in our area, it's been open for the last few weeks, but uh, now there are already rumors that it's going to be going back, closing back down at some point in the future because they just can't keep it open uh, without good new films and without a big audience. So. Yeah. I, I feel bad for the movie theaters, but you know, as I mentioned, I was going to go, but there was nothing there I wanted to see. So I kind of feel like they're up against a wall because they're like, well, we can open back up, but nobody's going to come see it because they're movies they've never heard of. Or, you know, Wonder Woman is not coming out until December. So what do we show? We've still got, you know, two months to, well, two and a half months. We've got the rest of October, all of November, and then right up until the end of December. What are we going to show until then? You know, because <laughs> um, people even yeah. though you and I both want to get back into the theater. We love watching movies, but we really love watching them in a theater. Yeah. Watching them at home, yeah, it can be kind of nice because you can, you know, watch it on your couch and, you know, have dinner while you're watching a movie or something, but it's just not the same. And I, you know, I did get to see Tenet in the theater, um, but it was really strange and it was all socially distanced and it made for a really odd viewing experience. Um, but I, I, I shudder to think that I'm going to have to see Dune when it finally comes out in 2021. I'm worried that I'm going to have to see that at home because I feel like more and more with the Wolf movie that you and I watched, Wolf of Snow Hollow, it came out, but it was $20 to rent. And I feel like theaters or or distributors are just being like, okay, they're kind of, you know, kneecapping the movie theaters. They're like, okay, we can't do movie theaters. We're just going to put it out online. And I've, I feel bad for the <laughs> for the movie theaters. I wish they'd do something where, like, if we would have had the opportunity to see Wolf of Snow Hollow in the movie theater and online, even if it was the same price, you know, or if it might have been maybe it wouldn't have been more. It wouldn't have been $20 to go see it in the movie theater. But I would have gone to go see it in the movie theater, but I just wasn't given the option. So I'd, yeah, I don't right. think theaters are going to be able to survive. I, I just don't. The The big winner in this whole situation right now? Uh, large screen TV manufacturers. <laughs> yeah, I believe. Uh, because think about it. I mean, right now everybody's saying, well, great. If I'm just going to have to be able to watch movie, brand new movies that come out online and I can stream them to my TV the day they're released, then I want the nicest, biggest TV I can get in my living room. And I'm just going to do that. Uh, Pixar, you know, their latest movie soul coming out has already said they're going to go straight to Disney plus. Well, for online streaming with no cost. Like you just have to be a Disney plus subscriber. Right. Which I think what's interesting about that is they released Disney released Mulan, but they said it was on Disney plus, but they're like, Oh, but it's a premium. So they made people pay. Mm. For that. I don't think that really took off the way yeah. they wanted it to. So yeah, now they're going to release soul and it'll be just free. So, well, I think that was a typical Disney move. Let's see how much we can charge for something and see how much we can get away with and see where the pressure points are. Oh, okay. We found the pressure point. We now see that having somebody have to enroll in a subscription service and pay extra money on top of that did not work. 
So right. now let's drop down to the next tier, which is where we just want subscribers to our service because uh, that's a long going, uh, nice revenue stream for us on a monthly basis. So, yeah, it's some weird stuff, man. I'm just I, I'm so <laughs> I'm I'm wobbling between depressed and worried and everything else because, I mean, movie theaters are a big part of our life. And uh, I think that the whole community experience is still something it's hard to replace. I mean, yeah, I could watch, I, I watch the Wolf of Snow Hollow at home on my nice, fairly nice sized TV. And it was a great viewing experience, but you know, a horror film like that, you know, you want to be around other people in a theater and that's, that's just part of the experience of it. So it's just disappointing. It is very disappointing. Well, I think where, if I had to guess, I, I think, I hope. We will have movie theaters, but I think they may end up having to shut down again. And then once you know, once everything is done with the current situation and the pandemic and everything, I think movie theaters will open, but I think there'll probably be a lot fewer. <laughs> well, I think there'll be a lot fewer, and I do think they're going to have to be really focused on what it is they offer because I think, I think too many of these studios are going to find some success in releasing their films online. Sure. That they're going to question whether or not they want to go back to the theatrical distribution for some of these smaller or mid-range films. Right. Um, so do the the theaters just focus on the big blockbusters, just the big Marvel movies, just the big superhero, the big spectacle films? Or do we see the theaters shift to more boutique settings where they're showing more independent films and more classic films and more uh, experience-based uh, screenings. I don't know. I, that's what I'm really curious about. I think in in bigger markets, maybe it wasn't an issue, but definitely in smaller markets like here in Hickory and in other places, you know, multiplexes had already basically suffered that problem where basically all they got were the big blockbuster films. So you think it was bad before that you didn't get to see a lot of movies <laughs> Like, or you didn't get to see smaller independent films it's yeah. really gonna be on the big screen. It's really going to be tough after all. Oh, yeah. River, but we'll see. Yeah. Anyway, that was, that's all I've got news wise. I mean, that's really it. I, I've got nothing else to talk about as far as new productions. New, I'm sure there's new films that are being worked on right now, but this has been the most overwhelming thing in my brain. These last several weeks is the fate of theater, the movie theaters in general. So Unfortunately, I was hoping uh, a few weeks ago that maybe things were going to start to see uh, getting stronger and better, and that's not been the case. So now we're seeing that there's rumors again of shutting down or clamping it down again. So I don't know. I really don't know what's going to happen there. Stay tuned. If you're a listener to this podcast, I'd hit the subscribe button because we're going to be having to talk about this probably for some time for a while. And uh, stay tuned with what's happening there. Chris, why don't we try to get off this sour, depressing, upsetting note and let's talk about something a little more fun. Let's recommend a couple films. What do you say? Okay, we can do that. Great. So this is our recommendations for the episode. Chris and I both, uh, either in the course of watching things in recent history or just recalling films that we feel like maybe need to be revisited or should be acknowledged, we want to recommend a film for you that you may be able to check out online or watch during some of your own personal downtime or home viewing experiences. So Chris, what have you got to share with us today? So um, I'm going to recommend a film that came out in 2016. I think maybe it actually hit the U S in the 2017, um, but it's called the girl with all the gifts and it is a horror movie and it's an action kind of adventure movie as well. Um, but it's, 
it's a zombie film. And typically you might be like, oh, it's just another zombie film. Well, it is, but it has kind of a unique spin on it where the world has been infected with this fungus that turns everybody into zombies. Okay, that's pretty typical. But there are some children that have been like infected with it, but they haven't been gone full zombie. So within them lies like the hope that maybe it can save mankind. And so the central theme around the movie is basically them trying to figure out and they how they can get this girl that is part zombie, I guess, and try to figure out what they can do to try to save mankind. But there are some evil scientists involved. Uh, Glenn Close actually plays an evil scientist, which is awesome to see Ooh. in kind of a non-typical Glenn Close role. But it's really good. And the ending, I really, I'm not going to spoil it, but the ending of this film I thought was pretty pretty masterful. So, and wow. it was unexpected. It was unexpected for me anyway. So uh, The Girl with All the Gifts came out in 2016. Okay, very nice. I, I was not familiar with that one at all, so I have now added it to my watch list. And you can get uh, it thank you. anywhere. It's on Netflix. You can probably get it from yeah. Apple. Well, Chris, that's great. I, I appreciate that. I'm I'm going to recommend a film that you we've you've all seen, and, and, and it's not like I'm bringing up a film that's like a hidden gem or something like that. This is this was a pretty popular film at the time. It's been remade. It had sequels, but a couple of stark things have caused me to like bring it back up now. Okay. A, it is a horror film, and obviously we're in October, so we're kind of thinking all horror films in general. Sure. It was one that was pretty impressionable for me as a child because I think I was 10 when it came out. Uh, It was rated PG when it came out, which is kind of crazy when you think about it now. But this was before PG-13 and also where the PG was a much broader range of films that came out. Okay. Um, Like I said, it was remade. Uh, but the reason it brought back up to me and I had to kind of do a little quick revisit of it is I, I did go to a haunted house trail outdoor haunted experience thing for a, for a shoot just in the last few days. And there is a part of this haunted trail that is taking you into a carnival type experience with clowns. Now, I do not do well with the idea of clowns in general, in, in the horror sense, the whole idea of, twisted demonic or uh, psychotic clowns. I I do not do well with at all. Okay. So, but what it did bring to mind, uh, I did okay at the haunted trail, by the way, I I was okay. I was very professional. I I shot what I was supposed to shoot and I uh, did not let it get to me, but it did make me think about the classic film poltergeist. Mm -hmm. And I do want to recommend this because unfortunately there was a, there was a remake not to just a few years ago that, didn't really do that great. And my understanding is I never saw it, but everything I read is that it was a little bit, it just didn't really have quite the impact that the original did. But I think the history of this film is just as fascinating and worthy of going back to see 1982. It's directed by Tobe Hooper. Now there's a lot of controversy about, did he really direct the film or did Steven Spielberg direct a lot of it? Because Steven Spielberg is a, is a producer on the film. But I tell you, you watch this film, man, it has got Steven Spielberg's fingertips all over the thing, all fingerprints all over this film. Okay. Even the look of the film and the child actors and just so many things that Spielberg really excels in. 
I'm pretty confident that Spielberg directed a good chunk of this film. That's just where I've, I believe. Because I've seen other films that Hooper's done, and they're fine, but they don't have quite the look and feel that this film does. Sure. Um, for those not familiar, uh, Poltergeist is a story of Steve and Diane Friedling, who they're three children. They uh, they 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 move into a house in a neighborhood. Uh, he sells houses and the company he works for built the neighborhood they're moving into. They start having some odd things happening in the house. Some odd things are kind of fun for a little while. Things are moving across the floor. Uh, you know, but then it starts building and building and it truly is the haunted house idea, but it goes a little deeper in that it's truly about a, a house being possessed by otherworldly forces. And uh, to the point where when the youngest girl's, abducted basically by these forces things get really really traumatic at that point Uh, the film's known for some classic scenes of course you've got the carol ann you know of hands on the on the tv set talking to the 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 other forces through the tv signals uh the clown sequence as i mentioned before was especially traumatic for me at that that age (laughs) Uh, even a a tree uh coming to life and uh terrorizing one of the children (laughs) you know you watch it now some of the effects, some of the things definitely do not hold up, which you could expect. This was before CGI. Everything was practical. You watch it now. I mean, my kids have seen parts of it and think it's it's hokey looking, but I still feel like it's effective. I still feel like the scares are there. But the biggest thing I want to kind of recommend this film for, I think you forget, is how well it was acted. Craig T. Nelson and Joe Beth Williams, those and, and even the kid actors, too. Those two, though, playing a very, very realistic family and couple. And I just, I think the way they reacted to things, the way they acted, the way they handled their kids was very, very, it was very Spielbergish in the 80s. And, you know, it truly was uh, showing us a real slice of life family. And they really added to, you know, the anxiety and the fear that this family went through, you, you read it through their performances and it just really made it stand out for me. So that was the biggest thing I remember as a kid is like, wow, these, these people seem real. (laughs) So the fact that this is happening to them makes this all a lot more freaky (laughs) and concerning for me watching, you know, when you don't believe the main characters that the, the traumas are happening to, it's really hard to be invested in it. But I always thought they just were really, really sharp and great in their performances here. So anyway, it made a big impact on me. It is Halloween season. I recommend this also too, because I mean, yes, it is traumatizing at times. There are some scary moments, but in general, it is on the sense of horror films. It is less bloody, less violent, less scary than your other classic horror films. Um, Save maybe the one, face scene I'll say is the one that may be a little too much for, for younger audiences to watch. But you know, if you want to show like younger, younger members of your family, a horror film um, that's going to scare them, but maybe not traumatize them like some, some, some really, really hardcore uh, horror films would, this might be one to consider. So um, that's Poltergeist, the original from 1982. And, Actually, uh, I want to check that out because I have seen it, but it's been a long time. So I'd, I'm, I'd be curious to check it out. I'll have to do that. Yeah. Watch it. If you watch it again at any point, watch it for the performances and watch it for just the depiction of the family because that's where I feel like it really shines. And it's just so good. So, yeah. 
All right. So we've got a couple horror-related films for your uh, recommendations this month. That's very fitting, I guess. I think we both obviously looked at our notes and realized what date we were recording this and when it was going to be released and made the appropriate decisions on the films to recommend. So kudos to us, Chris. Yeah, it's great. All right. Well, we're going to go ahead and wrap up the show. Uh, again, we had our reviews of The Wolf of Snow Hollow and Outstealing Horses, both getting recommendations from us. Um, we talked just honestly, the very little news we had, but we did talk some depressing news about movie theaters and what's happening right now in the state of our country with the theater business. And then our recommendations of The Girl with All the Gifts and Poltergeist from 1982. Chris, if anybody wants to comment or give us any feedback on anything we talked about, how can they go about doing so? You can send us an email to info at footcandle.org. You can also follow us on Twitter at footcandlefilm. Alan and I are also on Letterboxd. That's L-A-T-T-E-R-B-O-X-D. You can track what we're seeing. Sometimes we give short little reviews on there. Uh, if you wouldn't mind, give us a star rating, write a review, or share with friends in iTunes to help us reach new listeners. We'd very much appreciate it. We are also on iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, and Pocket Cast. That's right. We will be coming back to you with another episode before too long. But in the meantime, you can always go back, visit themesh.tv. That's T-H-E-M-E-S-H.tv. And subscribe to this show or check out other podcasts on the Mesh Network or go back in time and listen to some past episodes. Here's a great exercise. If there's a film that you just recently watched and you go back and search and find out if it's one that we reviewed, especially if it's been from the last uh, you know five, six, seven years, yep. go back and search and find that episode. And you can just play that episode and you hear us have a nice conversation about the film. It's a great way if you just finish watching something and you want to hear some people talk about it. Again, if we if, if we don't have the theater experience where you can walk out the theater and be talking with people that you go to see the film with, let us be that surrogate in the meantime, and let us be that post post theatrical viewing discussion that you may uh, may be missing right now. So, all right, Chris. Well, let's go ahead and wrap it up. Thanks everybody for listening, and we'll look forward to talking to you next time. See you socially distanced in the ticket line. Special thanks to Carpal Tuller for the show theme music. For more about Carpal Tuller, visit www.carpaltuller.com. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.